You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. On this Wednesday, November 15th, we're talking at Pirates baseball with our good friend, Adam Barry, Pirates reporter for MLB.com. Adam, we thank you for the time. And uh, just uh, days ago, as we talk on this Wednesday, the uh, NL Rookie of the Year vote was announced. And uh, to no one's surprise, uh, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers, the runaway unanimous winner. But the Pirates' Josh Bell placing third in that vote, uh, sandwiched in between Paul DeYoung of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. So, Adam, my question to you, if you were told, you know, one year ago at this time that uh, Bell is going to put up a 2017 that sees him hit 26 homers, drive in 90, and produce an 800 OPS, and have a top three finish in the rookie of the of the year vote. Would that have met your expectations, exceeded them, or pretty much been right on target with what you were expecting from Josh Bell? You know, it's kind of funny. I think it would have exceeded my expectations in some way and then probably fallen a little bit short in others. And I, I think that's kind of the case with Josh Bell. When we spoke uh, one of the last days of the season you know he was saying he was really surprised that he came out and he hit 26 home runs and drove in 90 but he expected to hit 300 uh, so you know you look at the end of the year numbers and you think all right this, he had a very strong year uh, there were definitely areas where he could improve and you know there was no he could have done just about anything and still probably not have caught Cody Bellinger who just had one of those historic rookie seasons like Aaron Judge the, the AL winner um, but Bell still did a lot of things really well and I, I think he answered the three big questions uh, that we had entering the season coming out of spring training, which is would he stay healthy after that off or the early spring training offseason knee injury? Uh, would he hit for power, which he very clearly did? Uh, and could he play first base? And he did that very well defensively. So I, I think he answered the big questions, and then he's just the kind of person and player that I think you really bet on moving forward. And I, I think he, that average will come up. I think he'll get more consistent defensively. And, you know, this is really just a good starting point for Bell in what should be a pretty long and productive career. Are you surprised that, uh, you know, he placed uh, that much stock in his uh, batting average? I think he was in the, the what, the mid-250s or something? Because not that batting average is not important, but it seems like these days there's so much more of an emphasis on, you know, OBP and OPS mm -hmm. and, and the batting average itself is something of an afterthought. So did that kind of surprise you that that, that was a, kind of a sticking point with him? To a certain extent. Uh, the, the funny thing is just that coming up through the minors, he had been a high average hitter who wasn't hitting for a ton of power. So then all of a sudden he shows up in the big leagues and the profile is kind of reversed. Uh, it just sort of shows, I think, the standard to which he holds himself, which is very high. You know, he wants to not only be a, a slugger and a power hitter, he wants to be a high average hitter too. He wants to be a complete, well-rounded uh, baseball player, which I think he's very much capable of doing. And I think, you know, the, the stretches of inconsistency that he went through, he told me at the end of May he was surprised he didn't get sent down because he had such a bad month. But, you know, if you look from about then till the end of August, he was basically that guy. The average then was probably in the 270s, 280s, I believe. He slumped a little bit toward the end of the year. So there were definitely glimpses of that guy where he can be that complete, well-rounded hitter as well as a better-than-advertised first baseman defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, if you look at it from the Pirates' uh, front office and management perspective, you know which Josh Bell would they rather have going forward, the minor league version that hit for the high average and had modest power or the guy that could turn into a perennial 30-home run threat, but maybe the average is around the 250s or 260s? Which one would they prefer? I got to think in today's landscape where power is pretty prevalent elsewhere, but seemingly not on the Pirates, they got to be very thankful that they have a, uh, the kind of hitter they can make their cleanup guy. 
moving forward, which is what Josh Bell pretty much instantly became. I'm sure they love the combination of both more than anything, but you know, a guy who's going to have that 800-plus OPS, you'd like to see that pick up closer to 850, maybe even approach 900 at his peak, uh, because it's kind of an Andrew McCutcheon-type player who's going to hit for a high average while hitting for power. Uh, for, the, for the time being, though, I'm sure they're happy to see that power play because it answered a pretty big question about Josh Bell. Yeah, no question. And uh, like you said, this speaks to his uh, makeup and his character that he, you know, he hits 26 homers. He drives in 90. The OPS is right there on the nose at 800. And he still says to himself, there's a lot of areas I want to improve. I mean, that's that's the kind of guy you want on your team. That's the attitude you want your young players to have. And Josh Bell certainly has that in spades. Adam, moving on uh, to the saga, if you will, of a Jung Ho Gong. It uh, continues to uh, unfold. Uh, he's currently playing winter ball in the Dominican, though not exactly uh, tearing it up. I think at last check, uh, not even hitting maybe half his weight. He's hitting, what, like 118 or something. It's it's just not good. The numbers are, are kind of ugly. But what has Neil Huntington said regarding this whole thing about Gong? It seems like, you know, he's obviously hopeful he gets Gong back for 2018. But if he doesn't, I think that there's not a lot of panic on his end because there's obviously a backup plan in place here. Yeah, they've been without him for a full year now, so they've they've reached the point where they're pretty well preparing to not have him just because at this point they're waiting on a visa, a work visa to be acquired and you know, if his application was denied with over, you know, within the past year, I'm not necessarily sure what will have changed where it would be granted all of a sudden now, so I think they're being realistic about the chances of him returning while still remaining hopeful because he would add significantly more power even to their lineup while playing a pretty solid third base for a really affordable $3 million. So, of course, they're going to be hopeful, but they got to be realistic. That's part of the reason they went out and they got Sean Rodriguez in August because he can be that kind of utility infielder, you know, not make David Freeze play every day at third base. I think you'll hear them connected to some free agent infielders, maybe trade targets this offseason. We saw it today when our friend John Morosi uh, reported that they have at least, quote, some interest in a reunion with Neil Walker, who could slide in at second base and allow Josh Harrison to go over and play third. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they're going to kind of wait and see with John Ho. Those winter league numbers are really bad, as you mentioned. I think it's 118. He had more strikeouts and games played at this point. Uh, but Neil Huntington told me the other day that, you know, physically he looks like himself, which is good, and he's kept himself in good shape. It's just a matter of getting back up to game speed, and, you know, you would expect some rust. He hasn't played organized baseball in more than a year. Uh, so I think they'll keep an eye on him. You know, they're not going to distance themselves from him yet. Uh, they still want to support the man, obviously, for the, the issues that he's been through legally and personally, uh, and then just kind of give him a chance to, to let the visa application process play out uh, to decide if he can come back. But certainly, you know, Huntington has made it very clear they're going to reach a point where they have to essentially commit uh, to the idea that he won't be here at some point this offseason because they're going to have to fill out the roster in some other way. I think they were kind of caught flat-footed. Uh, last spring, which is why David Freeze didn't realize until about May that he was the everyday third baseman and it was going to remain that way. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this time around uh, they they know what the deal is. Like you said, they got caught uh, off guard and by surprise, and, and it was just kind of a, a makeshift uh, situation. But this time around, they know the deal, and uh, they hope they get, that they get Jung Ho back, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Or if it does, uh, it's not going to be anytime soon. So we'll keep an eye on that, as we've been doing for 
Oh, about the last 12 months. So why why switch anything <laughs> up now? So, uh, Adam, speaking more about uh, Neil Huntington, he is uh, right now down in Orlando uh, schmoozing with the other uh, GMs around baseball for the general managers' meetings. And I think the, uh, the big topic or the big question uh, surrounding him, Huntington, and the Pirates franchise, of course, is about the future of uh, Andrew McCutcheon. But talk about how the topic of McCutcheon kind of lends itself to a bigger topic regarding the future of the Pirates franchise itself. It is kind of funny that it's been about 12 months and we're still sitting here talking about John Hogan's status and <laughs> Andrew McCutcheon's trade uh, possibilities. Not much has the, changed. The more things change, last, right? I guess. <laughs> Uh, but Andrew McCutcheon, you know, it's sort of a similar story in the sense that, you know, they, they're not looking to trade him. I think they're going to be obligated to listen to calls much like they were last year. Uh, you know, they picked up his club option for $14.5 million. Uh, so, you know, they could bring him back. And uh, Neil Huntington has said all the right things in the sense that his line, it seems his operating line this offseason is that uh, they feel their best club has Andrew McCutcheon in the lineup and Andrew McCutcheon in center field. That doesn't mean they have to start the season there, but it implies that they're very much comfortable doing that as they were last year, although they eventually moved him to right field. So uh, I think the bigger question that you alluded to is, is it time to rebuild or is this an, a reloading offseason? You, you know, if you're going to keep McCutcheon, you're kind of signaling that you're, you're all in on 2018. You know, you're going for it. You're trying to compete with the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Brewers and everybody else in the National League. Uh, you know, but do they have the roster to do that around McCutcheon? Do they have the payroll to supplement the roster as it stands right now? That much is kind of unclear. It, it hasn't worked out the last two years. Granted, a lot has gone against them, uh, but it's still just they've been pretty far behind, the Cubs especially. So this could then become the offseason where you decide, all right, let's take a step back, retrench a little, and aim for maybe 2019 or 2020 where you trade an Andrew McCutcheon, you trade a Garrett Cole who still has value. You know, you look to trade a Josh Harrison and just sort of move on toward this next young core of players with Josh Bell, Jamison Tyone, Chad Cool, Trevor Williams, you know, Adam Frazier, and some of these prospects they have coming up nearing the majors. But at this point, they seem pretty intent on, you know, going forward in 2018, which to me symbolizes that they're, they're looking to keep Andrew McCutcheon unless they're completely blown away by a deal that would help him uh, in the short and long term as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was so much uncertainty regarding uh, McCutcheon heading into 2017, and while he didn't quite get back to his uh, MVP standards from a couple of years ago, he certainly did have a, a bounce-back season. I mean, we saw flashes of, uh, you know, vintage uh, McCutcheon, of course, uh, at the end of the year, the uh, the three-homer game and the, what was it, eight RBIs, the career high, was was that all in one game, if I recall correctly? Yeah, hit the grand first career grand slam as well. Right, yeah, so a heck of a night for uh, Andrew McCutcheon there towards the end of the year, and uh, like you said, if uh, they're going to keep him in the full for 2018, that is certainly a, a pretty telling sign that they're going to go for it and uh, throw their hat into the ring in what should be a pretty competitive uh, NL Central in 2018. Adam, as we come down the stretch here, I'm not quite sure how much stock you put into dominant uh, Arizona Fall League performances, but having said that, uh, there's a couple of guys uh, in the Pirates organization really turning heads right now Why in the AFL kind of uh, elaborate on those. Yeah, it's tough to say, like you said, how much you really look into it because it's the end of a long season for these young players. You know, it's not like they're really fully competitive games. It's kind of more of a showcase-type uh, environment, I guess. You know, starters being used as relievers, et cetera. Guys not getting full games and at-bats and all that. But, uh, you know, I think when you have good prospects putting together good performances, it's at the very least encouraging and reassuring, and that's what the Pirates should feel right now about what they're seeing from Mitch Keller, their top-pitching prospect, who's just dominating. 
uh, you know, Arizona Fall League hitters, who are some of the best prospects in the game, to be fair. So it's good competition. Um, he's showing off. Probably the most important thing is he's showing off the, a changeup, which is not a pitch he's known for. I think if that development takes place a little earlier for him than it did for, let's say, Tyler Glass now, that can only help him as he's nearing the majors. This could be a guy who may be ready by the end of next year, 2019, would seem like a more reasonable timeline. Uh, so that's really a good sign for the Pirates, just given some of the misses they've had uh, recently from you know, Tyler Glass now to name one as far as top pitching prospects. Uh, Kevin Kramer has hit pretty well out in the fall league. That's a guy who has sort of an offensive profile a la Neil Walker, maybe a, a, you know, a solid offensive-type second baseman. He's played some shortstop out there, which uh, speaks to his versatility. He was a shortstop in college. And then the other guy, the really interesting one to me, is Taylor Hearn, who is the other left-hander who throws 100 miles an hour that the Pirates got in exchange for Mark Melanson, uh, along with Felipe Rivero. Hearn uh, looks like a starter. Uh, he's you know hitting 100, triple digits with his fastball, putting together good results. Obviously, with that kind of stuff, command is going to come with time, but if he can prove himself to be a starter, that's a really valuable asset. The Pirates could use some lefties in their rotation uh, over the next couple of years, and Hearn looks like a good one. You certainly can't deny the stuff. And, you know, even if it doesn't work out as a starter, the fact that he's been as effective as he has been uh, you know, throughout his young minor league career bodes well for his big league future, whether it's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Yeah, like you said, uh, you know, a lot of guys have uh, been inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame, and then when they get uh, a taste of the big time, it's, uh, it never quite translates. But at the same time, you want to see, uh, you know, these positive uh, line scores and box scores, and, and maybe, you know, some of it will stick. And uh, there's a lot of hope right now with the Pirates youngsters that that next wave, as you alluded to, is uh, on the way and that the future does uh, bode brightly for the Bucks franchise. Adam Barry. A pleasure as always. Uh, thank you for the time. We'll do it again next week. In the meantime, Matt Wehmeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Pittsburgh Pirates.